When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to To Be A Terrier, Stephen Chicken here, joined down the line by Barry White. How are you doing, Barry? <laughs> yeah, not bad. For a bit of morning voice going on after the COVID, as you've just pointed out to me. But yes, I'm good. So It sounds like I've got something wrong. I haven't, I promise. <laughs> okay, good to hear. How was your birthday? Uh, it was very, very good. Very, very good. And having a birthday over Easter is good because the house is full of sweets and chocolate now because you get a double whammy. So... Yeah, it was great. And appropriately, Steve, for the Easter weekend, I looked at the championship relegation places and they were not there. They had risen. Yeah, Huddersfield Town out of the bottom three. They went to Watford. And I think you and I both had a feeling that that Watford were gettable. I think Mm. their recent results had had suggested as much that they'd been pretty poor recently. It was quite clear when I got to Watford that the mood with the fans and the local media, is is not terribly good at the moment. And Huddersfield Town were able to to turn that to their advantage. They they took a 3-2 victory despite going behind. Uh, they've turned into kind of specialists in conceding first and then winning the game anyway. But not so much the other way around, as we'll get on to later. But I, I really, really enjoyed that game. I think that's... It's not. I wouldn't say it's Town's best performance of the season or anything like that. But as a match to watch, I think it's the the game I've most enjoyed this season. It really had everything. Yeah, there there was. I mean, it was a good game anyway. But there was a nice bit of needle to it. There was hilarious mistakes. There were a couple of lovely goals. That yeah, it was. It was the whole nine yards, wasn't it? It really was. Yeah, Yasser Espria put Watford ahead after thirty two minutes. Jack Rodoni, who you said last week was never going to score, um, levelled things up for town. He then added another goal against Blackburn as well, but we'll get onto that shortly. Um, that was just before half-time. Warnock said after the game he was thinking that if they could get into the break just 1-0 down, then he'd be happy with that. So to go in at, at one all was uh, was a boon for town. Matty Pearson puts them ahead 10 minutes after the break. Keen Harrett comes on and scores with his first touch and then the game looks like it's beyond reach. It's a good job Harrett did get that goal because Britta Sombolonga did get a goal in injury time before Daniel Batman was sent off hilariously for two yellow cards inside a minute. Again, a game that had everything. But from a Huddersfield Town perspective, it's we'd sort of wondered after the Borough game and commented after the Bury game that this now looked like a team that could win games different ways. You know, they'd beaten Millwall 1-0 in a very close game. They'd then beaten Borough 4-2 in a high-scoring game. High-scoring games look like the way to go for town at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I I think, and there's no secret source to it, I don't think. It, it is just doing the basics. I mean, you look at the goals and... Rodonis was just a sort of ball across and then he actually takes a poor touch but the poor touch takes it really to the to where he wants it ironically um and then you know Matty Pearson set piece 
Danny Ward, uh, Danny Ward doing what a good striker does and trying to get on the end of it, doing enough to take the keeper out of the equation. And then the third goal is a near post, you know, a, a really good striker's near post run across a defender. I I, I won't take it off Kean Harrett, but I I think it was. I'm going to whisper it, Steve. I think it was actually an own goal. Oh, do we'll, you? I I don't think so. But but okay. we'll we're we're not going to take it off him. So again, it, it's just doing basics, and I think I think Town are. <sighs> I think Town and a lot of players in that squad are very used to managers who are the other way, who are trying to complicate them, who are trying to get a lot of information into them, who are trying to get them to do lots and lots of jobs on the pitch. And I think the Warnock difference at the moment is he's asking them to do very simple things, but do them to the best of their ability. And you'd have to argue, what is it, 11 points out of the last 15? Mm. That you you can't you can't knock the science there, can you, Steve? As it stands, but I think the end of that game was Town being able to drag Watford down into the sort of carnage was also indicative of a team that were, I think, super confident. You know, they had their chest puffed out. They were willing to go toe to toe with them. They were willing to shove them about a bit. I mean, the sending off was. Farcical, wasn't it? Really, <laughs> so farcical. funny. I laughed several times at this game, and you know, obviously, you try and be professional, particularly away from home. But there are a few moments in this game that really had me laughing. One of them was David Kasumu's rugby tackle. One was Kean Harrett mm. coming on and getting that goal immediately. A great, great bit of movement from Kean Harrett as well. Mm. Uh, so when you watch that again, you know he wins it almost just inside the the Watford half, out wide, and then comes inside and back out to the near post just in time to get Karoma's um, cross. We'll talk about Karoma in a bit, but you mentioned the the tactics from Warnock and getting them to do simple things. I don't think that's to take anything away from no, Warnock no, no, at no. all, and I know you don't mean it that way. Um, he he had a clear plan for this game. He he told us afterwards that he'd picked a lineup that was designed to be flexible because he wasn't entirely sure which shape what Watford were, were going to go with, whether they'd go three at the back or four at the back, and he, he wanted to match them up whatever they did. And then when Chris Wilder made a change just before the hour, just after Matty Pearson's goal, before the game even restarted, Town had also changed um that they they also moved to four at the back so you started with Romani Edmonds Green at right wing back uh and then a back three with with Pearson in it um and, and Kasumu central midfield and as soon as Watford made that change to the four at the back uh Town moved Edmonds Green into central midfield or defensive midfield really and and put Kasumu out on the right wing and I thought it was uh, a savvy bit of business because Obviously, then Town went and added the third goal. I don't think, I don't think Watford had too much of a threat other than the Asombolonga goal. A lot of their yeah. chances were really speculative long shots. One of them did hit the net eventually through a spray. A really good hit, to be fair. Um, but they deserved the the three points, Town. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think the other thing that was key is they really grew into that game. You could see mm. the confidence um, that. It's no surprise when they've had the season they've had, even with a couple of wins on the back of their neck, they they were still a little bit cautious at the start of that game. But I think, for once, Town were the team that had a good look at Watford, and even at 1-0 down thought, well, if that's all you've got, we may as well have a go for it here. And I don't think we've seen that this season. Yeah, I think we've seen, yeah. yeah, I think we've seen plenty of teams do it to Town. Plenty of teams do it to Town, but... 
yeah, it was it was good. It was good, and to use a boxing analogy, it just felt like Town just kept jabbing, and then they knew when to put you know when to pick the big punch. And I think the 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 end makes it seem closer than it was because three two sounds like a proper nail biting thriller. I thought Town were very much in control that second half, and it was it was yeah you know it it was great to see, and I think having the sort of soap opera of the Warnock and Wilder uh, relationship that is clearly, uh, should we say, a little strained, Steve, we'll <laughs> leave it at that, was, was just great theatre as well. You know, it just added a, added another layer to it. So, But a huge three points on the road because we've said all along, if Town are to get out of this, even in the position they're in, they've got to take as much as they can from their home games and got to try and pinch what they can away and... Yeah, that's that's a massive three points for me there. In the in the context of this running, that's a huge three points. We've talked a lot about Jack Rodoni and almost to the point of, of boredom. It's almost getting to a, a Lewis O'Brien level now where you we're expecting to talk about Jack Rodoni every game because he's so influential on that side, but it was fantastic to see him get that goal and I thought his overall performance against Watford as well was, was absolutely superb. I think some people were less than impressed with some of his set pieces when when Silver mm. left and and and, mm. and Rodoni took over. Um, but he's Town have started scoring from set pieces and he's he's been the one taking them. Uh, obviously, he set up Pearson in this game as well, so he had an assist to his goal. Um, I thought he he was excellent again in that box to box central midfield role, which isn't really where we saw him playing when they signed him last summer. Um, he got a play with all goals and assists, and he's turned into a real. All rounder, I think, and I've told him this myself, and I think I've said it on the podcast before. One of my great pleasures in quite a, a dismal season overall has been seeing that lad getting better and better month on month throughout the season. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, to be fair to Jack, I think he he's he's suffered because he's not coming and been what everybody expected he he was going to be straight away. He suffered with a little bit with the shadow of Lewis O'Brien. I think some people thought he was a 10 and he's not. I think some people thought he was a 6 and he's not. I still don't know if he's an 8, if I'm honest, but he's he's certainly uh, he's certainly doing the role as a runner at the minute. And I think what we've always liked, if you go back and listen to the pods early in the season, as I, I did recently, just to... Just, I, I, I was quite interested to see where we were on Danny Schofield for, for a variety of reasons. Um, but we were always very high on Jack Rodoni because of his willingness to show for the ball, because of his willingness to run, because there was clearly the right attitude there. And I think what you're seeing is three quarters of a season with the right attitude in the championship really coming to fruition with a player who now feels comfortable, who feels he can compete. And with a manager who gives him a little bit of license to, to to do something perhaps he's not done in his career before, but he's really adapting to very well. It will be very interesting, I think, over the summer, when Town do have a new manager, what they want to do with Jack Rodoni, because he is clearly an incredibly capable, adaptable footballer, isn't he? And it will be interesting to see how his role sort of evolves in the future because he's he's going to finish this season absolutely bouncing, isn't it? You can see it. He, I, I strongly suspect his level won't drop from here. So, yeah, he's, but he's, he's also just a very likeable lad, isn't he, Steve? Mm. He's just a very lovely, likeable lad. 
Yeah, he's uh, very easy to get on with. Um, yeah, just just great to see, and and only twenty one. I think sometimes I think, and I understand why. I think town fans sometimes don't give young players sort of the the space to develop, and and aren't really of a mindset of. Or at least some aren't. It's probably a vocal minority on on Twitter, to be fair. But I think when you talk to to people more generally, I think people tend not to take age into account. And I get why, because at Huddersfield Town, your players are only realistically, unless you're Jonathan Hogg, they're going to be around for two or three seasons and then they're gone. So you're not bothered about... Have it, you know, if someone's twenty-one, you don't expect them to be there for ten years, mm. <laughs> um, and you know that they're probably going to go and have their best years somewhere else. But you know, just bear in mind, Jack Rodoni's twenty-one years old, and and I think uh, has, has been a massively key player for for Huddersfield this season. He's played every minute for for Neil Warnock as well. One of only three players who has. Um, so more power to him. It'd be wrong as well to to not mention Josh Garoma in this Watford mm. game who. Played nominally as the centre forward alongside Danny Ward. Both of them were, were drifting quite wide when they're in that three-five-two, uh, and then Karoma did just become an out-and-out winger, left winger in the in the second half. I thought throughout the game he was really, really excellent. Mm. He was so good at getting town up the pitch. I thought his decision making was excellent, which is probably the big thing we've criticised him on previously um when was the last time has he ever made an assist for town on his left foot mm-hmm. um after going on the outside um again another player who it's it's been kind of a delight I, I i put it in the conclusions but my my play rating spreadsheet sort of color codes based on the scores that that we've given in the ratings and it averages out with what the fans have given and it um and then it's sort of color coded from red being the worst of, of the season and green being the best and it's almost a straight line from reddest red at the start of the season to greenest green uh, against Watford. Um, I thought he was excellent in this game. I can't think of many centre-forward performances in my four years covering town that, that were better than that one. No, he, he was really, really good. And he, I, I think, weirdly, what I've been impressed by is his, his defensive work more than yeah. ever because... Carlos Corbran clearly didn't rate him working backwards. That was that was the big issue there, and I don't think I don't think Josh Caroma has like gone away and suddenly had a defensive revelation and worked on it. I think again it's just just having a little bit of confidence and not feeling quite as pressured to to not feeling like everything is on his shoulders, which is what I think is is Warnock's big strength is that he's taken a lot of pressure off a lot of players and just sort of allowed them to get back to doing the things they're good at and adding a little bit more when required and I'm with you I mean it was it was just a, a delight to see him playing well really you forget how good a player he he is mm. he had that injury in the first Corbin season but you forget before and after at the back end when he came in he was head and shoulders town's main attacking threat. I mean, it wasn't even close, was it? No. I, I remember I remember. I wrote a lot that season, and I think he'd been out injured for three months, and he'd still had more shots than anyone else in the town team. You know, uh, so, yeah. And, like, we don't know what's going to happen in the summer, the contract's up, etc. But right now, town need a player like Josh Caroma to do what he's doing. So that's absolutely fine. You know, worry about tomorrow, tomorrow when when you're in the situation at town. Are. Just to go back to something you said though about the young players, I think I think the thing is with, with town fans is I think they can 
they can make their minds up about players, but I think you have to understand the context in that this is a football club that are either in the top six or the bottom six. Yeah, there is always something at stake for Huddersfield Town, like right from true. Uh, early in the season, because like when the seasons have been bad, like under Jan, um, you know, un- <laughs> this season, etc. It's always been bad from the word go. The Carlos season where he started like a steam train, everyone thought, oh, hang on a sec, have we got a chance? And then he tumbled down the league and it was, oh, hang on a sec, we're going to go down. <laughs> I, I think the thing is with players like Radoni and, and players, let's let's use the word Scott High because we know he gets a lot of grief. I think it is difficult to throw them into these situations where you need, <laughs> you're perpetually needing something from the games. And I think for one or two players to come to bring it back to what we're talking about, you know, for someone like Josh Caroma, I think mentally it's quite a lot when they become the player that everyone's looking to. Mentally, it's quite a lot to cope with. So this is why we've been doing this podcast for God knows how many years. And every summer we say they just need a nice mid-table season just to build the squad and grow and bring people along. But one normal season of Huddersfield Town never going to happen <laughs> it's interesting though that Neil Warnock has used a lot of these youngsters mm. in his squad since he's come in and he's not someone who's going to come in and be, and be like oh I'm going to develop these develop these youngsters because they're here for the future he's there to get down out of the relegation zone um, and he's and he's not going to be here past the summer so he doesn't you know he doesn't give a shiny one if if Scott High or Jack Rodoni or Brahima Diara crack on but he's picked them anyway because he thinks they're the best players for for the job, you know. Rum and he's he's started seven academy graduates since he's come to the club. Plus, Kean Harrett has has come off the bench. Um, there were five academy graduates on the bench against Borough, and they're all there on merit. And I think that shouldn't go under the radar. I don't want to sort of sound like I'm doing club propaganda because this isn't something the club have, have asked me to put out. But it, but I do think it's notable that the likes of Ben Jackson, Brahima Diara, Brahmani Edmonds-Green, of Scott High, have been well rated by Warnock since he's come in. Um, mm. Yeah, But I think he probably looks at young players a different way. His, he's, what, 70, 74 years old, is he? Is he 74? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's after all his years of experience. I think he's probably looking at young players from the point of view of what can you give me right now? What is that? What is the role that I can bring you into this side and you can give me right the second? Whereas I think if you had a manager who needed something longer term, I think they're looking at that, but they're also looking at how do I develop you? How do I grow a relationship, etc. It's interesting that you've got a manager here that is here for the short term. And he's just trying to get as much bang for his his buck as possible. And he's using these players. You know, it's like Romani Edmonds Green. When they shifted him into midfield to do a couple of man marking jobs in a couple of games, I don't think, you know, Carlos Corbran wouldn't have done that. Danny Schofield wouldn't have done that. Mark Fotheringham wouldn't have done that. I don't think Narciss would have done that. It's, I think with Warnock, it's not that he's this sort of ultra simple long ball manager. I think he's just a manager who just understands horses for courses from game to game if he thinks that's the right player to do the right job for that particular game then that's what he's going to go with and it's it'll be interesting to see uh, like we don't know what what who the next manager is going to be or what town are going to look like next season or anything but it'll be quite interesting to see what the sort of 
what the profile of manager they get linked with over the summer because they've had some sort of real tacticians haven't they and the sort of ultra focused and you know the the guys that want to be there at five o'clock in the morning and want to leave at nine o'clock at night etc it will be interesting if they do look for somebody who's slightly more the warnock end of the scale where it's a bit more again I think some people damn him with these words and we are absolutely not damning him with these words but with somebody who is a little bit more simplistic let's just you know round pegs in round holes and let's see how we go on but you know it it is working. I think Jose Mourinho has given pragmatism a very bad name yeah (laughs) because there was an interesting thesis I read a few years ago about it's funny that like Mourinho is always talked about as a pragmatist, even when his sides are failing. Whereas mm. Pep Guardiola is talked about as a, as you know, an adventurer uh, and playing this sort of expansive style. But actually, he's winning everything. So what, what's mm. the pragmatic thing to do there? And it's, it's adapting your game to to suit the squad you've got. You know, Man City have spent. 15 years building up a squad, um, the squad that Pep Guardiola's got now. Um, but pragmatism in its purest sense is all about doing what works best. And mm. sometimes you can be adventurous, sometimes you can try and play expansive football. But I think even Carlos Gorbrand learned, and it's the thing we praised him for most last year, was he learned, okay, there's certain things that I'd like to do, and platonically, my ideal for what football should look like is this. But in the real world, in the championship with this squad and a limited budget, I need to make certain adaptations. And yeah, I think if, I mean, we don't know what town's budget is going to be, what their recruitment plans are, as you say, but I think there is a a case to be made that a a pragmatist manager is the best manager for for Huddersfield Town, or at least the Huddersfield Town of of right now. And Warnock is that. And again, I'm I'm not saying that's a damn we faint praise at all. Um, Yeah, uh, we, we have had Michael Duff, linked of course i'm not sure what the validity uh, on that is they're not talking about it at the moment but michael duff is quite interesting because he's he's trying to get barnsley to to play some very decent football um he's a he's a very hard-working coach he's coach trying to sort of make a name for himself and that's one that you look at and you go i'm not against that at all actually but at the flip side is Barnsley are in the race for the playoffs. They could be coming up themselves. He could be, to be frank, he could be ungettable over the summer. So who who knows really? But if that's the profile, you look and you think, okay, well that's that's quite interesting. The only thing is, I think that, that what Warnock's been able to do with this squad is he's been able to give... We, we're praising him for his sort of simplicity and his pragmatism, and rightly so. But also, tactically, he's been able to recognise player strengths. So we, we talked about shoving Jonathan Hogg a bit higher to get him higher in the press because you don't need him in front of the, the back three, four, five, however you want to play it all the time. And I think he's been able to recognise that some players, you can give them complicated instructions. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can... You, Lewis O'Brien, you could tell him to do eight jobs in the game, and you know he's going to do seven of them absolutely perfectly. You know, so there are players that you you can load up, and it'll be, yeah, it, it it's quite an exciting summer in a lot of ways because there's going to be a big transition. I don't know what next season's going to look like, but there's going to be quite a big transition. And if Warnock is involved in the process, 
I, I think somebody like Michael Duff would be somebody he would be looking at and thinking he tries to play nice football but he does keep it simple he does try to get round pegs in round holes and he may be somebody who could go forward with this so yeah it's interesting but part of me thinks let's just wait and see because there's so much mm. in the air at the moment I mean the takeover hasn't even officially gone through so how do you know what your budget is <laughs> how do you know what your, mm. new, your new man and you have to remember I think it's important for fans to remember that if Kevin Nagel gets involved at the moment and says he wants this this and this or you can't do that um, the whole takeover can collapse because it, it legally the EFL need to see that until the takeover goes through he's had no influence he can't make any decisions he can't I think strictly speaking he can't even be involved in conversations until the takeover has gone through Steve so it's not even like at the moment we can sit here and go well you know, surely he can be working in the background. He can't. And Birmingham, this is what Birmingham got fined and their takeover basically got rejected for. So it's important that he's not involved. So I think the long and short of it is, God knows. (laughs) With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I had tons to say about the Watford game, and and a lot of it was praise. The conclusions... I could have given praise to plenty more players and, and we could do so here. I thought David Kasumu was, was really, really good, quite close to Rodoni and, and Karoma's performance in in my view. I thought Tom Lee's has been superb since Warnock's come in and was again yeah. here. Uh, Pearson obviously got the goal um, and we'll talk about him in a moment as well because he got another one um, on, on Monday. Uh, I thought Hoggy had a good game against his former club. Um, Danny Ward ran his, his blood to water, obviously Kean Harrett. Um, a player we've watched a lot in the B team and I think we've used the comparison before very like a young Jordan Rhodes in that he he won't do a huge amount else except score but his finishing is brilliant on on both feet and with his head unfortunately uh, the the word from his poacher Um, but but that is what he is and great to see him come on and, and get that goal um, I think you forget that he was a very important part of that Port Vale side last season mm. um, and, and did get that experience and, and was very well liked there. So, um, But then Blackburn, <laughs> almost the other end of the scale in terms of I had ended up with very little to say, say about it because I don't think we learned a huge amount new about town that we hadn't learned from the previous couple of games. I think obviously with a few days space on it, um, Going into the game, we would have accepted a draw, absolutely. Particularly having won on the Friday. Um, I think because it was a last-minute equaliser, it felt slightly deflating. I think the fans were still pretty happy with the result, judging from the reaction on the final whistle. I think everyone recognised they'd given everything, and if they'd been able to hold out for five minutes longer, they'd have got an excellent win there. Draw was more than acceptable, particularly the way that the results went later on. Um, But it was pretty well one-way traffic after town went 2-0 up um they had they scored off their first two attacks pearson again off a set piece and then rodoni at the end of another counter-attack lovely cross by joe hungbo um but blackburn 
had all the pressure, all the territory, all the shots, all the everything. Um, and it felt like it was a case of trying to hold hold that dam up, particularly after they scored straight after mm. the break. And unfortunately, they weren't quite able to to get there. But um, a good result in the end. Yeah. Thing about holding is you got to hold and give, but do it at the right time. Um, yeah, I, I think it was another very enjoyable game to watch, if exhausting. I think it was a game where a point felt much better two hours after the final whistle than it did on the final whistle. I think yeah. everybody's now looking back at that and thinking, "Yeah, all right, that was that was fine." I mean, at half time, at half time in the three o'clock games as well, it was all sort of going against town. It's like, oh yeah. no! And then by, by full time, it's like, oh great, no one's won. Yeah, I think. Uh... What I would say about Blackburn is I was I was impressed with them. I was yeah, impressed yeah. The, with their bravery more than anything. I mean, they played the the last ten minutes of that game with a front six. You know, they they were not going to die <laughs> asking. You can see why they've lost so many games. You know, and they've not drawn games they should have. They should have really. And why they're in the hunt because they win so many games because they yeah. do just go for it and. They've got some terrific players, and I thought it, it summed it up that when the second goal for Town went in, they were currently at that point on fifteen percent possession. Now, <laughs> possession is the worst statistic in football because possession means nothing; it's about what you do with the ball. But when it's that low, that's still notable. <laughs> that's still notable, and I think Town were taking the punches on the chin really well first half, and they broke really well, and they were really clinical. Yeah. But there is a point where that pressure tells, and I think the big difference was, like Blackburn did to Town, what Town did to Middlesbrough, and came out and got that goal straight away. Mm-hmm. And it was it was only ever going to be one way traffic from that point. And I think uh, we we've been extremely um, extremely high on Warnock and what he's done, but I thought in that game that was a game where he should have used five subs. If I'm honest, um, I think. There were some tired legs out there, Steve, and well, did, did, r- rightly so. The exertion from mm. Watford was massive, but yeah, I I think my key takeaway from that game, more than anything else, was that 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 Blackburn are really good. You know, not that Town were wretched or doomed or anything like that. It's just Blackburn were were really good and really really rolled the dice in a way that few teams I've seen in the Championship do. Did you see he had Ben Jackson waiting to come on for about 10 minutes before yeah. he actually sent him on? Yeah. It felt a bit strange. Yeah, yeah. As I said, I, I just think the problem they had the last 20 minutes of that game was not just that they were really under the cosh from Blackburn, who went from like a front three to a front four to a front five to a front six. It, it was more that they just couldn't get out, and the the legs were saying. I mean, Danny Ward when he came off, I don't think he had. I don't think he had another minute left in the tank, Steve. I mean, he was he was brilliant, chasing down everything he could and doing all the good things that Danny Ward does. But he just didn't have anything left, and I do just wonder if it it might have been better just to get some fresh legs on earlier in attacking positions, just so more than anything just hit the clearance out and get somebody running into the into the spaces just to try and take the pressure off a bit. But, you know, as I said, my takeaways really were more about Blackburn than Town in that game because Town have played that exact way, as we know, over the last few games and come away with three points. So they've played that exact way and come away with a point against a very, very 
attacking tough side in the playoff places broadly fine isn't it <laughs> yeah i think maybe if we were earlier in the season we'd maybe be a bit more critical of them blowing that mm. two goal lead but again it was it, this is what sort of made it difficult to analyze was because of the lateness of that that second blackburn goal town had done all the things that they had done against Borough and Watford that we praise into high heaven for and it, it just didn't pay off on this occasion as you say Blackburn were excellent I thought Joe Rankin Costello his performance is one of the best I've seen from from anyone against town this season I thought he was excellent um, but they had plenty of, of, of attacking threat in there um, I think Vatslik was made to work probably more than, than you would ideally like he had a really good game Warnock questioned whether he might have done better for the second goal Um I'm not so sure about that, whether no. he could have got it away. I don't think so. I, I thought it was a great save. I thought it was just yeah. un, unlucky that there was nobody there covering on covering the man coming in. Yeah. I they were. I, we've talked before about how Warnock goes man-to-man. I think we talked about it last week. Mm. It was insanely man-to-man against Blackburn. It was like watching mm-hmm. Carlos Gorbrand's first game in charge all over again. You know, you had Matty Pitt everywhere. Ben Brereton Diaz went. Matty Pearson went. Um, and you ended up with with Hog or Hung or Hungbo sort of taking it in turns covering at right back. If that if Brereton Diaz came central and Pearson had to follow him into midfield, then one of the others would drop back and, and fill in, and that was happening all over the pitch. You know, Josh Ruffles was making tackles on the right wing in the Blackburn half at one, at one point, mm. and he was nominally the left back. Um, I think it was clearly set up to. To be everyone has their man, uh, everyone follows the man, um, and you know I think that the first goal is a, is a one-two, very well executed, um, and ranking Costello obviously puts it in, lovely finish. To be fair to him, um, and then the second one, as you say, I think Helic does let his man go a bit, unfortunately, um, for the first header, ranking Costello again, um, and then Hedges the substitute follows it in, but. Yeah, it's it's difficult to sit here and, as I say, be too critical because I think earlier in the season, and to be honest, just a few weeks ago, I was saying Town's best way of getting out of this is try and keep things tight and play for a 1-0 because we know that on their day they can be defensively solid. Mm-hmm. But I've sort of done a 180 on that at this mm-hmm. point and think, actually, if they go for it, they can get goals from counter-attacks and set pieces. Um, and, yeah, that means you're going to concede some goals against good attacking teams and they've got two of the championship's best attacking teams coming up unfortunately in Swansea and, and Sunderland but it's working for them you, you can't say it's not with the points total they've taken for the last five games no that, exactly that and I think that like good sides are going to give Town a very very tough game because that's why Town have been in the bottom three for all but what they, they were in the they were out the bottom three weeks three and four of the season and then until this weekend they'd been in the bottom three so when you do play a good side who've got lots of attacking options I mean it's not just ranking Costello I thought Dolan was really good I think Smodic is a player who just pushes your back line further and further back really drags them down into the mud they had good players and they were a good side and I thought what was what was noteworthy is that I I think Town there were moments where they tried to go toe-to-toe with them and they were 2-0 up at half time you know it was working they'd done everything right 
but I think two two on reflection, I think it was a really fair result. I think it was yeah, a, you yeah. know, I think it was an almost perfect for once. I thought it was an almost perfect reflection of the game in that Town's plan was to take the punches and try and pick them off and grab a couple on the break, which essentially they did. Blackburn's plan was to come and try and smother them and just get higher and higher and push them deeper and deeper until the pressure told, and it did. Their first goal, like Middlesbrough's goal, was a real touch of class, I thought, as well. A real, you know, you, you, the first goal, I think that's one of those goals where you look at and you go, well, there's absolutely no point picking fault with that because it was just a great, great piece of movement, great piece of instinctive passing. So, yeah, I, you know, I sort of came away from it and just thought I was a bit like you. It's like, in terms of analysis, there's not there's not loads and loads you can pick out of it. It was one of those games that, as I said, you look back on now and you think, yeah, all right, a point feels really good, actually. A point feels absolutely fine. And I think what was key, like you alluded to, was that in the end results pretty much fell town's way, you know, and that was... QPR getting a point we could have done without, but that was that made a point feel even better, really. You know, so yeah, I I think overall the other important thing is Steve. If somebody had said to you you're going to take four points from the Easter weekend from Watford away, Blackburn mm-hmm. at home, doesn't matter which way round you take them, you'd have snapped their hands off, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I I think if I have sort of one word of warning out of Blackburn, I I do think Town would very sloppy with the ball for a, a long period yeah. in in the middle of the second half weirdly although the goals came at the right at the beginning of the second half and right at the end of the second half I think there was a period of 10 or 15 minutes in the middle there where they were really really sloppy on the ball and they did have chances to break and they did have chances to go forward and they they didn't didn't really take them but you wonder as you you've alluded to if that was just the legs in the side, the tiredness yeah. in the side it's been been a massive effort the last few weeks so it's it's not just it's not just tired legs, is it? It's tired, tired minds yeah, exactly. as well. That's what I mean. You know, yeah. the exertion of the last five games, not just the Watford game. They they need the. It was interesting. Warnock said in his press conference after they've got two days off now, and he doesn't want them anywhere near the club. He wanted them at home with their families, and I think that's exactly what they need. Steve is just two days off to get a bit of sleep <laughs> and get you know recover a bit and have a bit of family time. So. Yeah, yeah. They but they, it's just incredible they've put themselves in this position, isn't it? Mm. I mean, we did that podcast where we we talked about it before and we had to treat them as dead and buried and here we are. It's incredible, in the 19th. isn't it? It is incredible. And and you know, you can talk about Reading's points deduction obviously that's helped them out massively. Um they're two points clear of Reading, two points clear of the drop zone now, but they would be out of the relegation zone even without that. Um, you know, they'd be ahead of still be ahead of QPR on goal difference, still ahead of Cardiff by a point. Admittedly, Cardiff had that game in hand. Um, but that's by no means points in the bag, despite the fact they were winning that game when it got <laughs> abandoned. Um, yeah. which I'm sure they'll take extremely well if, if they do end up being the <laughs> one that goes down. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, just to be just to be out of it at all. There's still five games to go now, and there's still time for them to to drop back into that bottom three before the end of the season. Um, obviously, they've got those six pointers against Cardiff and Reading. They lose both those games. That is, yeah. yeah, that is not good at all. Um, but at the moment, I mean, you and I talked about this before the game on Monday. 
they just need to match the results of the teams that are beneath them now of, of QPR and Reading uh, and mm. possibly Cardiff as well. And I think on current form, obviously, when you look at QPR going back to October, Reading in one of their sort of trademark bad runs at the moment, um, Cardiff not exactly pulling up trees. Town of the form team in that bottom seven, um, which might become a bottom six if Rotherham win that game in hand against Cardiff. Um they just sort of need to maintain that. They don't need. They probably don't need to be eleven points in five games to stay up. Probably six or seven would probably do it. Someone asked me on Twitter on Monday evening how many points they need to stay up, and I've I've looked at uh, where what teams on forty one points after forty one games normally finish on, which is what Reading have got at the moment. The average is forty eight point two, so forty nine or fifty probably keeps them up. So. You know, if they if they conversely if they beat Reading and Cardiff, that's probably job done. And they've got other games in the meantime, three other games in the meantime. That I know Swansea are in very good form at the moment. Um, Sunderland uh, picking up steam again after a bit of a tricky run and and have an outside chance at the playoffs if they can get a good run of form to go in. As I mentioned earlier, they're two very high scoring teams as well. Um, but it's looking positive um for town at the moment and they would need to actively screw it up from here for them to end up back in trouble mm, i i think no side down there is going to win every game every side down there's going to lose a couple um but i i'm not i'm not being arrogant or tempting fate here but town i just don't think town will finish below all of reading qpr cardiff and rotherham I don't think they'll finish above them all, but I don't think they'll finish below them all either in that mini league. And I don't know. I like if they got four points between now and the end of the season, that still means a three-game swing from a couple of sides to get above them in five games, and that's that's a big ask for them. That's a huge ask. So yeah, I, I'm genuinely not sure exactly what the points tally will be, but I think it might be comparatively low this year. Mm. And I just I fancy town to give somebody else a bloody nose you know we like the Swansea game is tough because Swansea on their day are a great side and they keep the ball but the sides that Swansea struggle against traditionally play like Neil Warnock sides mm-hmm. which is they do take their blows on the chin and what they want to do over the course of the first half an hour of the game is sort of stop them playing football and then grow into the game and that's what Warnock's been doing who knows but like as long as they get something from the home games the last two games of the season being at home i think is very helpful steve despite you know people are saying oh yeah but sheffield united might need something i still think it's very helpful having those games at home and i still fancy them to give at least one bloody nose out on the road so yeah it's certainly in their hands which is an incredible turnaround they've had a bit of help from others but I mean who doesn't at this time of year when they get out of it you know it's town have done their bit by getting those 11 points so if they get a helping hand from elsewhere that's absolutely fine they completely deserve that so yeah it'd be interesting I think to to see how they finish the season off because they do have a chance now of dare I say it not only sort of surviving but actually finishing quite strongly and that does change the profile of the summer somewhat so having said I thought it would go to the final day I now think there's a chance they can be home and host and potentially enjoy themselves on that final day 
um, and give Warnock a proper send off. But we shall see. We shall see. It's just incredible to be sitting here talking about this, really, when we were convinced they were done. Yeah. Well, QPR, Rotherham, Reading, and Cardiff all have to play Burnley. Yeah. Um, three of the teams in that bottom seven have to play Stoke. Three of them have to play Wigan, who, which might not sound like much, but Wigan's record in that mini league is actually, I think, the best mm. out of all of the bottom seven. So there's a few teams that can do town a favour at this point as well as um, town doing themselves favours but we'll see Um, Sheffield United as well I think I've said this both the last two podcasts so apologies for repeating myself but with Middlesbrough dropping off I know Luton have sort of replaced them in in third now uh, and only five points behind Sheffield United but it's looking very very much you'd lay a mortgage payment on Sheffield Mm. United finishing second at this point and if they do, it will probably be before they come and face town uh, and they can't realistically catch Burnley. So yeah. they really will have nothing to play for at that stage. That might go in town's favour, um, yeah. whereas Cardiff play them this weekend. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you know, we, we're speculating. We'll see how those results go. We, we know that shocks can happen uh, and it could well be that we're sitting here next week and talking about after the Sunderland game it will be, I believe, and talking about town being back in the relegation zone again. Um, but as it stands, looking good. Um, and God knows we've had very little reasons for optimism or good cheer this season. So I think at the moment, just enjoy the fact that they are out of out of the bottom three and things are starting to look up. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. And as I said, it just it changes the profile of the summer, Steve. Because if they'd have if they'd have somehow managed to stay up with a bit of a whimper and mostly reliant on others, then I think there'd have been quite a lot of doom and gloom still going into this summer and a bit of a hangover. Whereas if they can do it and be safe by the final day and give Neil Warnock a really good send-off and all of that sort of thing, it does just, you know, it makes a difference to season ticket renewals. It makes a difference to the way people feel. It makes a difference to how many people read your pieces in the examiner, Steve. As we know, it's it's all of these things. So, yeah, it would be good if they could they could just keep their foot on the accelerator a little bit. They do need this couple of days rest, though. I do think, as I said, against Blackburn, you could see the sort of mental toll on them. So hopefully they can get themselves back together and, and go again next week. Two big games again next week. And, yeah, you know, it's... it's it just if you were psychologically speaking as well, Steve, if you're in that dressing room and you'd been in the bottom three all but week three and four of the season, and now you're out of it. That's got to be massive, yeah. hasn't it? Mentally, massive, yeah. huge. What's your musical recommendation? You've promised me something full, lad. Yeah, I due to the way Spotify's algorithm works, I often get stuff that I haven't listened to for a while and then end up listening to nothing else for a while, as you know, Steve. And uh, a little record by the name of Definitely Maybe came up the other day. And I listened to it in full and just thought, this isn't aged a day. What a really good album this is and what a great band Oasis were at one point for one period of time. Lovely. Uh, I'm going to go with Sea Power, formerly known as British Sea Power. Uh, Regular listeners and readers will know, including photographer john early who has taken up this recommendation so i hope your disco elysium playing is going well john um that uh, i'm a massive fan of the video game disco elysium got obsessed with it over the autumn i've played it all the way through about a dozen times absolutely love it and the soundtrack is by 
Sea Power, uh, and it's just recently become available on Spotify again because it was off there for a long time. A lot of it is, some of it is original, I think, but some of it is sort of um, vocalless versions of of their existing songs. But it's lovely background music. So the Disco Elysium soundtrack by Sea Power, lovely. Right, we'll see you next time, everyone. Thank you, David, for joining us for the for the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me, Stephen. <laughs> very formal uh, oh, before yeah. we before we go can i just say uh, a very warm hello to the man who went up to matt shaw and said i absolutely love the podcast and matt was absolutely delighted and said thank you very much and then he said you're david hartry can't you i just want to say a very warm hello to him because that made me really really laugh um, and and also uh hello to the the fella on the tube who said hello after the Watford game lovely chat uh lovely talking to you right see you next time goodbye goodbye